Hello, everybody, and welcome to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. I'm Lena Lahire, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, best-selling author, and psychology student at the University of Calgary. I'll be discussing topics that range from nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and everything in between so you can feel confident in how to move towards better health physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get into our topic for the day. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. Today I have special guest Amanda Bergen joining me to talk about overcoming adversity. Amanda is based out of Toronto where she works with the homeless community. She is a mother of two, a singer-songwriter, and a passionate woman who loves Jesus and people. Having overcome adversity herself, including teen pregnancy, drug addiction, and homelessness, Amanda has a passion for helping those that most of society would consider the least of these. Toronto's homeless community that Amanda works with is an area that has a long history of violence, drug use, mental health issues, prostitution, low income, and crime. She feels blessed to be able to work in the area and has gotten close with and loves a community whom she would describe as brave, strong, beautiful, talented, creative, and resilient. Amanda has a passion for creating space for the homeless to explore their artistic abilities through music and art and advocates for their voices, dignity, and rights to be heard and respected. She believes that each one of them is worthy of love no matter what they're facing or what they have done in their past. Amanda is also a professional performing and recording artist who goes by the stage name Empress Harmony and is currently promoting her first conscious reggae single called Love, 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 which is available on all major platforms. She is expected to release her first music video for Love, Love, Love and is getting ready to release her second single in the upcoming weeks. I am so honored to call her my friend and have her on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! So I have to ask, what is conscious reggae? (laughs) Conscious reggae is uh, reggae music with a conscious message. So I'm not just talking whatever comes out of my mouth. I'm very... I'm very aware of what I'm saying and I want it to have impact and I want it to speak to either social issues or personal issues. It's got a very, like it's, there's a point to it. So I'm not just talking. Right. Talking yeah. <laughs> kind of like the underground hip hop movement that actually has a message. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So I'd like you to start the show by telling our listeners a little bit about your personal story and what got you into working with the homeless. Cause that's not a job that everyone goes into. It's, it's not a job for the faint of heart. That is very true. Don't fool yourself guys. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so I got involved in it because I have a history of being homeless myself, um, both as a child and as a teenager, as an adult, maybe a couple days as an adult. Um, so off the bat, I understand just even the mind space you need to be in um, when you're homeless, as well as the problems that come along with being homeless. Um, leaving home, I think I was about 13 or 14 when I left home. I got right into drug addiction, right into homelessness, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, um, a lot of crime. So in and out of jail all the time. So those are also things that my homeless community deals with. So again, I have a personal understanding of 
what's going on in a lot of those areas. Um, I was a teen mother. I got pregnant at 15, had my first child at 16. So a lot of my clients have experienced that as well. So um, I got into this field because it's different than textbook knowledge. A lot of people get into it because they're like, okay, I understand like the definition of homelessness and what they need. And it's, it's good to come into the field with that, but it's not everything. So I like to create the balance with offering what I personally know and understand. Because mm-hmm. it, it's not just as simple as, oh, this is what the textbook says, because you're dealing right. with, with human beings that are variable. Right, right. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the main factors that drive homelessness? Um, I wish that was like a quick answer, but there is so many different things that drive homelessness. Um, just from people I've worked with, there's people who have, for example, had housing, had everything set up, lost their job, couldn't get back on their feet. There's people who had everything set up, had a divorce, couldn't get back on their feet, couldn't get out of the depression, couldn't get out of the beating themselves up over guilt. So let's say drug addiction became a play or alcoholism or just depression on its own is enough to drive somebody to not be able to pay their bills or even go to work. You know what I mean? So, um, I've had people, I actually have people who choose to be homeless, which sounds super crazy, but there's housing available to them and they won't take it because of isolation, which um, as we can see within coronavirus, like isolation is deadly. (laughs) You know what I mean? The lack of having people can be detrimental to one's mental health. Um, There's really so many things that contribute to homelessness let's talk about the city, the city not providing um, affordable housing, especially in Toronto, like the rent is crazy, girl. So how do even, okay, so now you're off the streets, how do you afford $2,000 on your own when you're disabled? You know what I mean? Like there's so many factors into homelessness that I wish it was one answer. It'd be easier to solve if it was one answer, so. Mm -hmm. And you know, like people often, it's interesting how you said like people that choose to be homeless, because there's not just like one type of homelessness mm-hmm. it's like like you said like it could be transient like someone loses their job and and they're homeless for a little bit or they're homeless end up being homeless for longer or they're homeless because of um mental health issues and have no family to look after them like where do they go exactly. yeah right so it's interesting how people find have this like stereotypical view of a homeless person where yes. it could be all manner of people yeah. all ages all races any gender like there's no limit to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's 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 crazy a lot it's a lot mm-hmm. now do you find that there's a lot of racial disparity in homelessness or gender disparity like mm-hmm. do you see one over the other um I think there's mostly male homeless. Like I would say a good population or a good percentage of our population is male, unfortunately. I'm not 100% sure why, but it's it's definitely a lot of males. It, it is. And I would actually, after this, I'm probably going to dig into it and see why or if there's like statistics on it. But um, I'm sure there is. But yeah, a lot of them are older males, to be honest. Yeah. And then with race, do you notice one race over the other more so being homeless? That's a very good question. I guess it depends what city you're in. 
Yes. Yeah, because I've worked in both Calgary and Toronto now, and it does it does vary based on where you are. Mm-hmm. And I think even within the city, I think it would be like um, within areas in the city that would change as well. So I think downtown is pretty diverse um, because where I work is so there's a whole bunch of resources just like compact in a bunch of in like a small area. So a lot of people are sent down there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't, I'm not too sure about that one. That's like, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other than not having a home to go to, what are some other major problems that the homeless face? Um, well, finances are yeah. a huge thing. Even if you're applying for government assistance, the government assistance covers nothing. What is $700 going to do when your rent is 1500? You know what I mean? So then it becomes a problem of, okay, so now we've paid our rent, but now we can't eat or we can't clothe ourselves or we can't get around because we have no bus fare. So it's almost like if you're fixing one problem, like it's not just the homelessness, you know what I mean? If you fix, like we give them a house, there's still so many other problems that come along that affect their housing that it, it's, it really needs to be like a whole wraparound thing mm-hmm. to be able to support people and get them off the street and get them set to where they're, they're good. Mm-hmm. That, that is a kind of a good segue into my next question. What kind of social programs are there and are they actually helpful? Like what, what is out there? Right. There is a lot offered, um, in terms of like, okay, so I went to school and now I'm a social worker. Now I'm, I'm here and I'm helping you. Um, there's, there's programs that will help with mental health, but I think there's a lot of programs, but I don't know what we're actually doing in those programs as well as who we're putting to run those programs. Right? So if you just have someone fresh out of school and they're running a program for homeless people, but they've never experienced homelessness, they've never met homelessness, homeless people before, Again, it's possible and it, they can help people, but I think um, we really need to visit that aspect as agencies. You know what I mean? What's, what's the point of our program? Are we just killing time? Are we actually trying to support them and help them move on? Are we giving them tools to life? You know what I mean? Like, like I keep saying, there's so much to homelessness that putting an art program there. So I ran a music program, for example. So just putting the music program there and just having them come and do music is great. And it gives them time off the streets and it gives them time to do some music therapy. But what else can I offer them in that? Can I give them a little bit of counseling? Can I give them some direction? Is there other programs I can refer them to? So when they're done that, they can, you know what I mean? Go get some food and then maybe look for a job or it's, (laughs) yeah, like there needs to be a wraparound of things, you know what I mean? Um, there's things out here for people to go get help with their mental health. So, okay, they're good. So now they're on medication, they've left the program, but now they're going back to the streets to where their medication can get stolen or the drugs are now coming into play, which counteract the medication that they were just given. You know what I mean? So there's so much in it that it's like, they need to be carried through, there needs to be programs to carry them through each step of the battles that they're facing. And unfortunately, if you've just gone to school, you might not really understand what they're facing once they leave your doors and why they're coming into your door is angry or why they were unable to make it to an appointment that time. You know what I mean? So it's, there's definitely layers and there's a lot to it. Do you think that like rehab centers, not in the sense of like dry out centers, although that it could be a component of it, but like full rehab centers 
for people to go that have like different levels depending on what they need to help them integrate back into a you know a functioning way could be helpful like what kind of solutions do you see I do think re there needs to be more rehabs. I know I have clients who want it, like just from like the drug aspect, they want to get sober. So when we're calling to see if there's space available, there's nothing. So they're saying, okay, wait for, call me back at two o'clock in the morning. By two o'clock in the morning, we are tired. We have got drugs in our face all day that we've been saying no to. And we're probably just going to go get high because this seems hopeless. You know what I mean? So if we at least created space, so when people do want to get sober, we're meeting them where they're at. We're saying, okay, you're ready. We're ready. We're here to help you. Once you're done here, we have a place for you. We have social workers to come support you with that. We can teach you some life skills. You know what I mean? Like it needs to be just more, I guess, tailored to what the streets need and not so much what the city people in their like little suits up in their condos are thinking that the people on the streets need. You know what I mean? Which, which is where I, I hope I'm able to gives a little bit of insight. I mean, I didn't go super extreme with homelessness and drug usage, but I do have knowledge. So I think having people like myself in place does help create that, like fix, fix the gap mm-hmm. in between the richer power people and the homeless community. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's one thing to say, Oh, we'll just do this, but yes. that's a lot easier said than done and more multifaceted than just that. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Talk to us a little bit about like what their food situation is like. Cause I, I mean, I'm all about <laughs> <new Help>! <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <That's girl. laughs> food. I wouldn't really say there's a lack of food. There's probably a lack of um nutritional food on a consistent basis as well as options for people who are choosing to be vegan or choosing to eat a little bit healthier while on the streets that in itself is challenging because you are not buying your own groceries you're going somewhere where people are telling you what to eat maybe the person cooking or the agency is providing the food you know what I mean? Everyone's just trying to do the best they can. So we might not always have the most healthiest options to feed people. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of agencies are kind of have the mentality of, well, you're hungry, you're going to eat or you're not, you know what I mean? And we almost like disregard that this person is really trying to be vegan. This person's really trying to be vegetarian. And as much as we might not have the resources, we need to respect that they're trying to take care of their body, even in, you know what I mean? all the stuff that they're going through. And I find a lot of agencies, although they are doing their best, they kind of have that mentality. Like if you're hungry, you're going to eat, you know what I mean? And so we, where I work, we um, really go out of our way to try and cook nutritious meals, fill the plates with different types of food groups and stuff. So we definitely have a reputation where I work. Um, My kitchen staff are amazing. The staff who have the vision for wanting to keep the community healthy in that aspect. And I just really respect what uh, my team has done in that aspect. And we have a reputation of having the best meals on the block. (laughs) So I'm very honored to work with people who have that compassion towards the community. Because like food is like one of those, you know, foundations of humanity, right? Yeah. People deserve, have the right to eat. It's true. It's a right. It's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that whole 
issue uh, topic really bothers me (laughs) with affordable food um, and affordable nutritious food, like you said, because there's a lot of of food banks and there are some food banks that do really, really good and there's fresh produce, but I mean like things go bad as well. So when you're homeless, where do you store it? Yeah. There's so many restrictions. Like, like I said, I wish it was a one word answer because then I think we would have more of a grasp on homelessness and how to support them. But there's so much, there's so much and so many aspects that people don't think about. So, um, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, isolation and what's going on like with COVID right now. So what are you seeing in terms of isolation and the social distancing protocols? Um, it was crazy when we first shut down, like when the whole world kind of just like stopped for a little bit, it was crazy to see that the only people really out walking the streets were our community members. Um, and that was kind of sad to see because they don't really have an option. You know what I mean? So we were here telling everybody, stay home, isolate, isolate, check your temperature. Some people don't have homes to isolate in. Some people don't even have a thermometer. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it was hard to see them really suffer and be scared like they're scared just like everybody else you know what i mean so it was it was sad to see them just kind of be out there alone which is one of the big reasons i kept working during it because i was like like let me just be a familiar face you know what i mean let me just go there and talk to them because i know i am kind of freaking out a little bit i can't even imagine not having somewhere i can lock myself in and be protected so it's it's been challenging um lately i've been seeing a lot of faces that i haven't seen for the past couple months because they have been in isolation we do serve people who have housing but may be facing things like food shortages isolation so those people do come to our community center lately they've been coming back and just having like a minute or two minutes with them and just saying hey it's nice to see you you know what i mean you're alive you look good those kind of things mean so much to people and i think us in the housed community, um, we really take certain things for granted. Like isolation for me, I would never be isolated because I got children here to talk to. You know what I mean? Some people who have housing, they lost their children, they their families disowned them for whatever reason. Like they're literally isolated, not in like a quarantine way, like isolated. So it's been it's been sad to watch, but I'm I'm again grateful to be a face in this community that's recognized so that I can go down there and just be like, Hey, you know what I mean? You're loved. You're worthy of being seen and saying hi to, and Hey, let's sit down on the bench together. Six feet, of course, keep a mask on, but you know what I mean? Like we're still here. We're in this together. So it's been very challenging for them. There was a point where a lot of the agencies, I think we were one of maybe five agencies that have stayed open. Um, and there was a time where there was no bathrooms available there was no showers available for people who are sleeping on the streets so i stayed late one time to let a couple just like have a quick bath in the in the sink you know what i mean just so that they could just clean themselves because they haven't bathed for like over a week so it, it was really sad to watch the homeless community go through what they did during all that and i can't even imagine what's going to happen if a second wave comes up like i just don't know how what's going to happen to be honest it's interesting i think um what covid really highlighted was inequalities even more mm-hmm. uh, and the people that had the luxury of just yes. like oh i'm just going to go into my house and yeah. you know get, get paid and not <laughs> yeah. worry about it have like a a little vacation no. um yeah no no that it there's a so there's a term in sociology is called red tape okay. and it's when um, 
organizations follow rules in the most rigid way, um, regardless of anything else. And it just, I thought of that as you were talking, like the rules were more important than the humanity. Yes. Oh, wow. You hit the nail right on the head. Yes, girl. That's exactly what it was. And I mean, like, I don't know if you know what, if you heard about what happened with that WestJet family. No. Oh, my blood. It just boils. Um, a Muslim family was on WestJet. This happened last week. And they had a 19-month-old and a 3-year-old. And 19-months-old aren't required to wear masks. Yeah. Um, rightfully so. I of mean, course. A 19-month-old. Yeah. So the 3-year-old wasn't wearing a mask. Um, and the WestJet crew asked them to put a mask on the 3-year-old they're super compliant no problem uh i don't i'm sure you know muslims muslims are generally like the most respectful people yeah for sure yeah right like yeah anyways um and then they asked they asked him to put a mask on the 19 month old and they said she's never had anything obstruct her airways before um but they did they complied this little girl got so upset she ended up vomiting in her mask they like, they asked them to get off the plane. They had, I'm not, I'm not kidding. They had cops, like 12 cops waiting for them when they got out of the plane. Right, come on. They canceled everyone's flight. And I think they made a huge misjudgment because I think they thought that the 19 month old was older. Oh, but excuse. <laughs> Like you could have asked, so I don't really know what the ins and outs to that were, but like had police waiting for them, like so rigid to conform to these rules. Yeah. Um, and then not only that, but I think because they, you know, did not want to admit they were wrong, uh-huh. they have not allowed this family to come back on WestJet for a year. They've banned them from flying. What? Where? What? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> where's the human? Like, where, where's the love in that? And so a lawyer picked up their case and he's doing it for free. Thank God. And I'm just like, man, hashtag boycott WestJet. Yeah, for real. Like, that, uh, that to me, you know, like, when, when the rules supersede humanity and love, like, we have a huge issue. Wow, what you said right there is exactly what it is. That is so crazy. Yeah. So, like, on top of everything, this is really how we're treating people. Come on. Like, what I think this coronavirus for me has just reminded us we're literally all like leveled the playing field. I'm sure we said that, but like, none of us is better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's, you constantly have to remind yourself because obviously media and all this stuff like makes you think otherwise. But if you really break it down, we are all capital A L L no matter what level you're on, no matter where you live, no matter what you wear, no matter what race, we are all on the same page right now. We are all on the same level. Yeah. Yeah. But, and and it really did highlight those inequalities too, because there's more research coming out saying that, um, people with underlying health conditions like obesity, diabetes, heart disease are more at risk for developing severe symptoms. This isn't taking into account like the elderly and and whatever else. 
Um, and so then you look at uh, the demographic of homeless people Whoa. and they're dealing with so many issues out of their control, like not having access to healthy food, yes. so dealing with these underlying conditions, which they may not even know that they have, yeah. making them more at risk. That's like, so, so there was, there was an interesting statistic saying that the African community was at higher risk but you looked at the poverty within those certain communities oh was, was it poverty like it wasn't race because you look at what's going on in africa right. africa didn't get hit hard at all and look at wow. how tight those communities are honestly like oh tight communities what who is doing all the like come on <laughs> That's so crazy. Who is doing the research and putting this stuff out? Like, let's, let's look a little deeper guys. Yeah. And why isn't that being talked about on the media? Like what's going on in Africa? They were all <laughs> saying like, Oh, Africa is going to get hit. Africa's not getting hit or, or they have it. <laughs> and it doesn't make a blind bit of difference because they're not worried about getting tested and they're not, you know, like living off um, packaged food and. Uh huh. Yeah, expired oh. food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's so crazy. That's not a popular narrative to put out, though, right? Yeah. No, that really has my wheel spinning right now. That's actually, you took it to a different level than I even was like considering. That's so crazy. Because people, you know, to admit that, then then it goes into that multifaceted problem we're talking about. Like, so how do we get these people healthy? Yeah. And then that becomes a system problem, right? And that to break down that system and get it to square one and restart and build that up is what I think people are more afraid of than actually saying, okay, these are humans. You know what I mean? Oh my God, my job might be on the line if we break down the system and I, my job is no longer required or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. it's just disgusting, man. Yeah. Need more love, girl. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's very, very interesting. So do you think homelessness can be solved like do you think it can be eradicated or do you think it's it's just there and will always be there oh i want it to be eradicated but <laughs> i don't i don't know i want to speak in faith and say yes it can be but I want to speak in, in realistic terms. Like I always say, my job is unfortunately never going to go out of business, which yeah. is fortunate for me, unfortunate for everybody else. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what would need to happen. Again, I think the system would need to be broken down and rebuilt up in favor of the people and in favor of human rights and dignity and love for that to be able to happen. In terms of what I'm seeing in the world, I just don't see people are heading in that direction. You know what I mean? I think um, when I wrote my bio, like, quote unquote, the least of these, that's who I work with, who the city would call the least of these, I think out of sight, out of mind is kind of where people like to reside. And I think that's why, like, the area I work in is so condensed with all that stuff, because I think with, like, all the violence and drugs and all that stuff, because I think people just pushed all the low income and all this into one area and okay now we live out we don't have these people in our area anymore so we're good there's no poverty in the city there's no no like it's still there you just don't walk down those streets anymore you know what i mean so i don't know if it could be solved i would love to continue the fights to make sure we try and at least head that direction but i don't i don't know mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say out of sight, out of mind. I was talking to Kevin about that too. Like mm-hmm. people live in their bubbles and they don't even realize, like even if you're not homeless, how many people struggle financially and live paycheck to paycheck raising kids like you yeah. have done yourself, right? Like it has not been uh, an easy go for you. For sure, girl. Oh yeah. Right. Like, so what kind of, what kind of assistance and programs are there to help low income families that do have housing and are they, do they help? I think they would help like sustain. I don't know. I think when you're helping people, you also need to teach them. How do we stay out of this? You know what I mean? Or if we come back here, what's, what's our emergency plan? If we find ourselves, we don't have enough food for the kids. So I think a lot of people are, because it's so much need, I find like the agencies are just like, here, let's, let's give you food. Okay, on to the next person because the line is never ending. You know what I mean? So having agencies, like I said, again, I'm going to keep talking about the wraparound thing. So we've given you food. How do we now teach you how to budget? How do we teach you how to... You know what I mean? Get your kids up on time for school and dress your children. And there's so much that people don't know that we just assume they know. Like, hey, if we give you food, do you know how to cook the food? You know what I mean? Do you know how to store it properly so that in a week you still have food? Or are you just putting it all on the counter and it's going bad and now you're back at square one again? So there's there's a lot that needs to happen. Um, And it's also, I think, part people who are in these situations it's not the easiest thing to ask for help. You know what I mean? Like for me to go to the food bank with my kids sometimes is like, Oh my God, like I'm so embarrassed to go to the food bank. I can't believe I'm here. And it's just like a whole bunch of guilt and condemnation. And why didn't I do this? And why couldn't I be this? And like loving people in that. So I I appreciate the people who are in the agencies who, who aren't judgmental when the people are coming. So when I'm going to the food bank, when I have to go, they're not judging me. Oh my God, why are you here? What did you spend your money on? So that definitely helps. And that's where I believe that love, like needs to be the underlying thing of everybody. I love you enough to serve you here. I love you enough to help you so you don't have to come back here. I love you enough to check up on you once I haven't seen you for a while to make sure you're still good. If you come back here, I still am going to show you love and still try and support you through those steps again. You know what I mean? So love, I believe is the basis for every fixing, every single thing. So, mm-hmm. And even like, you know, the, you said how some people choose to be homeless. Um, that's your, their right to choose that as well. Right. 100%. And like, we can't put down someone else for their fear. For me hearing like, oh, you're scared to be alone. I would love to be alone. You know what I mean? Like, I can't wait till my kids move out and I'm like by myself in my house. But I have to respect that this person is scared to die alone, scared to wake up alone. You know what I mean? Like, we have to respect people's choices. And the other thing people don't realize is when you're on the streets, let's say six years, two years, whatever, that becomes your family. And so the challenge for me when I was transitioning from the street life to quote unquote, I don't know what you want to call it, regular life or whatever, for lack of a better term, um, it was hard for me to merge into the workforce and merge into like doing, going to the grocery store and doing all those things because those things were foreign to me for a while because I was so used to waking up in a homeless shelter, having people around me, being on the streets, having people around me, getting my food from a soup kitchen, having people around me, you know what I mean? So now all of a sudden I'm by myself. Like Mm. I can't bring the homeless community to my house because I have to make sure I'm good right now. You know what I mean? So to the transition is very, very challenging. And a lot of people get lost in that transition and think, okay, well, I don't have anybody on this side. You know what I mean? So let me go back to 
the streets and because I'm comfortable there, I'm safe there. If I'm using drugs, at least there's people there who know how to save my life if I'm overdosing, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very hard transition that I don't think people realize, especially if you haven't gone through that transition. And so for me, that was a very, very challenging thing was transitioning to the nine to five instead of chilling on the streets all day. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is actually, I think that is one of the, the best points that you brought up. Cause you think about like with drug addiction, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have both been through drug addiction. That is one of the hardest things to go through. Like, quitting drugs is, I mean, it's hard in and of itself because there's a withdrawal process, but you're losing a community. Yes. Yes. And like, think about why people get involved in gangs, Mm -hmm. right? Like, um, you know, I don't know if you know much about Latin America, but like the gangs uh, in Latin America, I mean, kids get involved in gangs at such a young age because it offers them security. It offers them a community. There's so much poverty that, I mean, like they get what they need in those communities. Exactly. Exactly. Even the, even the gang that I was in in Calgary was called the family. Really? How nice did I feel being involved in that when my family completely like disrespected me and you know what I mean? Like I was like, I am home. Let's sell these drugs. Let's beat people up. You know what I mean? We are in this together. There's like 15 of us strong. You know what I mean? It's so, it's just crazy. So to get people out of that is a whole different challenge. <laughs> like. Yeah, And maybe that's like where the focus really needs to be when people make that initial step is to have another community that they can go into that welcomes them with open arms and and says, we're going to support you through this transition. Right. That is such a beautiful thing you just said. And I don't think there is anything like there's groups and stuff. It's not enough. It's not enough because more times the groups are where you're trying to leave from, right? So if people are coming back to my music program, well, you're walking out the door and there's crack everywhere. You know what I mean? So if you're trying to stay sober and all those people have been your friends for six years, there you are stuck in a situation and you go back. Okay. Let's, so you fight that you make it down the block. You don't buy any crack. You don't hang out with anybody. You go home to yourself and you're thinking about, Oh, if I was on the streets, at least I wouldn't be alone. If I was high, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot. So yeah, I definitely agree. There does need to be a, uh, like a, a, a comforting net to catch you once you crossed over out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. There's a theory called the self-determination theory, and it states that one of our basic needs um, that we universally strive for is relatedness. And that's to build relationships and sustain them. And like, if people don't have that, I think that's a misconception that people have with, with homeless people. I mean, I think some people think, oh, they're just lazy or they're not motivated or right. Like ever. Oh my God. Right. You probably hear that a lot. Well, if they just did this, but it's like, but, but you have the luxury looking at it from the outside with a community and a family and yeah. saying how easy it is 100% it's not fair it's not it's not black and white <laughs> at all it's no. really really not there's so many gray areas it's it's crazy and, and until people like myself or the homeless community speak up which we're rarely given an opportunity to let's be honest nobody wants to hear from the homeless people like you don't ever hear news stories oh we have this amazing homeless person no you know no. what I mean we don't ever give them the time to speak or 
us as workers don't always get the time to speak so thank you for like allowing me to speak my truth on here but like we are we're worked to death and we're not given an opportunity to speak our truths to help the people that we're serving you know what I mean so thank you for this yeah no it's my honor so what can society do to help homelessness or just what can what can we do in general Mm -hmm. I like how you said society because that makes me think everybody and I do think it's an everybody problem um one of my community members said if one of us is homeless we're all homeless which in reality is true because it really affects all of us, even if it's directly, indirectly. Um, I think it starts, like I said before, the base of everything is love. If you see somebody on the streets, take a second and just say hi to them. You know what I mean? Like if they're asking you for money and you have it, just give it. It doesn't matter what they're spending it on. Would you sit on the sidewalk and ask for money? I know I've done it. Ask me if I would do it again. No, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing. It, it takes a lot to sit there and ask for money. You know what I mean? Panhandling, people put it down all the time. Why don't you go get a job? That is a job. Can, would you do it? I, wouldn't, I could never. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would take so much of me to get up there and ask for money. So they're not lazy. All these conceptions, you know what I mean? Oh, if you just got a job. Okay. Like you said, you have a family. You had support. This person doesn't have a place to sleep at night, but you expect them to go do manual labor for 12 hours and then come home oh, sorry, they don't have a home to come home to. They don't even have a healthy meal to give them energy to go to work. So there's so many misconceptions. Let's love them. Let's take a second. Hey, do you want a coffee? Cool. So that's like the base. Um, I would say things like give. Let's let's give them some clothing. You know what I mean? Let's um, let's pray with them. Let's be human. Let's be human to them. Do unto others what you want them to do to you. That's what the Bible says, right? That's the basis of love. What would you want if you were on the streets asking for money? If you just needed a house, if you just needed a pair of socks, if you just needed help learning how to cook, if you just needed help learning how to budget, if you are stuck in the cycle of addiction and you just need someone to talk to you. So maybe you don't have to go use that day to get out of your, whatever you got going on in your head. You know what I mean? Let's, be human to people like it bothers me because i don't think it's that hard these people making the decisions on oh we don't have enough room for affordable housing or whatever is that what you would want someone to say to you if you were on the streets oh sorry we just don't have room we can't we don't have time to discuss where we can put housing for you guys and how we can support you and all that stuff let's just show love let's be human let's do to them what we would want done to us and i think if we all grasp that little concept of the golden rule i think we will start to see things change you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think it starts with love simply love so i'm i'm sure this goes without saying but i'm sure your kids definitely see and treat homeless people different than most teenagers yes. don't they yes 100 i brought them to work with me to volunteer a couple times um and I think they went from a mentality of like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Like, I remember when we'd walk, when we first even like, when I would take them downtown or when we moved to Toronto, like, I'm not going to lie, the homeless community per, like presents as scary. If you look at the whole, all of them, it's, it can be intimidating and it can be scary. You know what I mean? Since my kids have gotten to know them and have worked down there with me, my kids will go out of their way now to, oh, there's a person over there. Let's go give him some money. Or, oh, I saw a guy down the street. Let me go home and get him some water and come back. My son has given his own lunch 
to someone that he's walked by on the street. He came home, he's like, mom, I'm sorry, I gave the container away, but the guy was really hungry, he was sitting on the ground. And I was like, that's cool. Like the container is the least of my worries. If the man got fed, what showed that he was human by you, it's cool. You know what I mean? So I'm grateful to work in this field to be able to raise children who are not judging these people who are looking at them as human. Even I see it trickling down into their friends. Like their friends will call me and be like, mom, guess what? I saw this homeless person outside the store and blah, blah, blah. So it's nice to see that what I'm doing is affecting my kids. It's affecting their friends. Even their friends' parents are reacting different to homeless people now. You know what I mean? So if I wasn't here showing the love, the love wouldn't be continuing. You know what I mean? So again, starts with love. Let's see how we can get our kids involved, how we can get our schools involved, how we can get our churches involved, get the prime minister involved. Like, let's just get the world on a track of doing unto others what we would want done to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember there was one Christmas where you didn't buy your kids presents. I will never live that one down. <laughs> Was that a year before you left to Toronto? A couple of years before? And you're like, my kids aren't getting Christmas presents this year because I want them to see how so many other kids live. Probably. I've probably done that a couple of times now, actually, because Christmas is out of control. But yeah, like we, yeah, we are, we so out of sight, out of mind. We turn a blind eye to these things and expect like our kids to understand how to treat people. But Yo, if you're always getting stuff and you really don't take a second and just like check yourself, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so this is what it feels like to not have anything. How are you going to understand how to treat somebody else? Which is again, why I go into this field with my lived experience, because a lot of staff, they're amazing at their job, but they don't understand. You know what I mean? So until you like have compassion and understand, I think it's, it, it restricts you a little bit in, in your job and what you're able to do and how you're able to treat people. So Mm-hmm. So last little thing I want to talk to you about is your music career. Yes, girl. <laughs> how did you get into reggae? Where where did you start with your music and how did you wind up doing reggae? Well, as you know, I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up in church. So music was just always everywhere, all the time. Um so I would say like gospel and Christian is probably like where I started out. Um, I heard reggae for the first time. I think it was maybe like 2003 and I heard it and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what in the world is this? Like, <laughs> and I was obsessed from there. Like I could not get enough. Like it just made my whole spirit like come alive. It was crazy. Like how gospel gets you like, woo! that's how reggae is for me. I'm just like, oh, I can't get enough of it. So I started listening to it and then I just, I really don't even know how it, how I got here, but I just feel like if you put your mind towards something and you start to be intentional about stuff, I would start to say like, oh, I want to start singing reggae music. I want to start working with a reggae band. All these things just started falling into place. Like it was just like, it gravitated towards me. I don't even know, again, I don't know how I got here, but I have been hooked up with some amazing people, amazing producers, amazing artists. And I'm honestly blown away with where I am in my music journey, to be honest. Even though like this is where I'm wanting to go, I'm like, wow, I'm actually here. You know what I mean? Like first singles out, I'm about to release my first music video. Like I'm just, I'm grateful because I don't know me, like a single mom, you know what I mean? I'm kind of broke. Like I don't, how did I get here? It's gotta be bad because I don't know, girl. I don't know, but it's amazing. The journey is amazing. I used to think I wanted to just like, just be on the stage. I just wanted to get to the goal of where artists think they should be. 
but I'm really enjoying the journey now, even though I'm doing live performances and stuff, I'm learning a lot of things that I know that I'm going to need for the next, next level of my music career. So I'm just grateful to be on this journey and I'm loving each and every failure, each and every lesson, because I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of horrible performances, but I've learned from all of them and that's a great place to be. So I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. And does Toronto have a big reggae community? it's everywhere it's so crazy it's so so nice it's the move from calgary to toronto musically is there's no comparison yeah with alberta and ontario no no comparison at all well the reggae community probably wasn't big here no there's probably like four people (laughs) (laughs) there's more than that sorry guys there's there's three because you <laughs> Alright guys, dropped you down to three. Yeah, like there's there's some and don't get me wrong, they're amazing. It's just not as big as I needed it. Like the growth in Calgary probably gave me all I could in terms of music, but I needed the challenge of the greatness of the music community out here. So I'm grateful for all of it right now. Yeah, and what kind of uh new singles do you have coming up? <laughs> so I have a couple reggae. The thing is, I'm not I'm not going to allow myself to be restricted just to reggae. So right now I've got probably maybe seven or eight reggae singles that are getting ready to like come out and be recorded, but I'm not restricting myself. I got some R and B stuff coming out and I've got some soul stuff. I've got some gospel stuff. So right now I'm satisfying my soul with reggae, but just don't count me out of every other category because I'm coming for all of it, girl. (laughs) You are. So if you can leave our listeners with one final thought to take away, I always like to leave on a happy note, a positive note, what would that be? Sorry to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. I would just say love, especially right now because we are in a crazy time. And I know love seems like super cliche, but if you break down what love says in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love rejoices when truth wins out, it keeps no record of wrong, all those things that it talks about in first Corinthians 13. If we actually live those things out, we will see so many changes, not even in our personal life. Um, but in the things that are going on with like the racial tension, let's like, that's a whole different conversation, but love would probably solve a little bit of that. You know what I mean? The homelessness it would solve a little bit of that, the, the hatred and the anger and the backstabbing and talking down about people, those things I really believe, again, sounds cliche, but can be solved with love. So operate in love, walk in love, choose love, take time to react to situations and see what love would do in that situation. And of course, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. None of us is immune from homelessness. It can happen to anybody at any time. So don't ever think you're better than anybody and just love everybody <laughs> even though especially the ones that don't deserve it because at one time I was someone who did not deserve love God showed me love I had people that showed me love and I don't think I would be here as successful like even just within myself success success to me is being at peace being happy being content I don't think I would be there if I wasn't shown love especially when I didn't deserve it yeah yeah well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm, I just love you so much. <laughs> I love you and I miss you. <laughs> You're amazing for all that you do. Thanks. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on iTunes and please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Have a great day and remember, you are powerful over your health.